It's been a while since we've updated everybody. There's been a lot going on here at Longleaf Breeze. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian. Welcome to our podcast of October 17, 2013. We have had a lot going on. It's been an interesting series of conversations we've had with smart folks, uh, starting, we've had a run of four of them here. Uh, I guess starting back with Gabe Brown. Right, on building soil, that was his topic. And then we talked with Eric Curran about his, um, he said it, he was troubled by hearing so much about sustainable farming, and it turned out to be a really good conversation about the way people in the city perceive the farm life and the way people on the farm perceive city life. It was just a good conversation. And how we can help, how we can be partners. Yeah, that was good. Uh, then we talked with Hayes Jackson, uh, an extension agent right here in Alabama, about gardening in dry places. And his, his mainly was about using the right plant in the right place. Which makes a lot of sense. People don't stop to think about that sometimes. And most recently, we had this really intriguing but uh, challenging conversation with Russ Hopfenberg, talking about food and hunger and world human population. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, you need to go back because it's uh, good stuff. It really is. It was challenging, as you said, but um, Russ was very forthcoming, had some great ideas, and we hope that lots of conversations will take place in the wake of that. But it has been a long time since we've just said, okay, here's what's going on here at Longleaf Breeze. So we thought we would do that today, uh, sort of soup to nuts, what's been going on. I guess the first thing we wanted to talk about was our muscadine harvest. Uh, last year we had a few berries, enough so we could say, oh, these are going to be tasting good, this is exciting. Mm -hmm. But this year we've really had um, a volume of berries we could enjoy. Nice, big, juicy berries. Not enough to make wine from, and as it turned out, we decided not enough to make jam, Yet. but we did put up a good many uh, muscadines that we will eat during the winter. Um, I'm a big believer in doing that. They are, for me, a wonderful substitute for buying fresh grapes that have to be flown in from somewhere. And you you put them up, so to speak, by freezing them. Just putting them on a baking sheet, freezing them hard as little marbles, and then pouring the little marbles in a Ziploc bag and throwing them in the deep freeze. That's our method of keep taking care of them. And then when... Um, when the, we're in the dead of winter and I want to enjoy some muscadines, I'll, you know, pick four or five of them out of the bag, put them on a plate, and that'll be my dessert. And we think we might be able to make a small amount of jam even later. I told Smith I'd try to show him how to make some. Even from okay. frozen ones, I think it could work. Well, I don't want to use my good frozen muscadines for jam now. We may try to make some jam from the remaining bronze muscadines. Okay. There are there are still a good many bronze muscadines hanging on the, the vines out there, uh, so we may be able to do something with them. Did we expect the bronze ones to be later in the season, the way they I are didn't. turning out to be? No, I, I had no idea they were going to be so late. That's interesting, though. I mean, it's turned out, we think it's a positive development that our muscadines – 
didn't all ripen at the same time. They've really spread themselves out. Absolutely. So that's been good. Yeah, the, the red ones are definitely ripened first, and they've had these great big juicy berries, and then the bronze ones have just trailed along, and boy, they've been all so leisurely about getting ripe, which is great. You know, it works out well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had our first real chance to enjoy the fire pit with a group. Now, we've, we've used the fire pit just to burn some trash, but this is the first time when our four-year group from Episcopal Church of the Epiphany came over and we um, used the fire pit, and boy, was it a success. It really was so pleasant out there. It, um, and I think we were beginning to have some muscadines then, too, that we put, since we were talking about muscadines, that we used as appetizers, among, yeah. other, <laughs> among other foods. Um, so it's been, you know, that, the, the harvest time, the beginning of harvest time for us has turned out to be just such a pleasant experience here. Talking about pleasant sweet potatoes. Oh, yeah. This has been, without a doubt, the best sweet potato harvest we've had, uh, the one we enjoyed this year. Uh, you can go to the website Longleaf Breeze and read all about the checkered experience we had in prior years. But this year, sort of all the stars lined up together and uh, had a great harvest. We haven't weighed them, so we don't know how many in pounds, but we know we had about 30 gallons of sweet right, potatoes. Right, which we measured by putting them into those five-gallon Home Depot buckets, those orange buckets. And some of them were in white buckets from our friend Daryl. Uh, but the point is— Rest in peace, Daryl. Rest in peace. That's right. We miss you. Uh, but the point is we— that was our only way of measuring them is to fill up those buckets. And we, by that reckoning, it was about 30 gallons. Yeah, we and, ought to figure out how much a five-gallon bag, a uh, five-gallon bucket weighs, and then we'll be yeah. able to estimate. And if you've seen any of the photographs that you posted, um, they are of varying shapes and sizes. So <laughs> if I were in the market for having a nice uniform group of sweet potatoes I was trying to sell, I failed miserably. However, we've already tasted some of them. And if I'm in the market for simply producing sweet potatoes that taste good, I've succeeded. We have succeeded. Bingo. And and we should probably mention to someone who's not aware that you, there is a curing period. That is, you don't just dig up a sweet potato and then, you know, eat it that night. You could, Actually, but it won't be a... we've done that, and yeah. they were not too shabby. But they're going to be much better. But the flavor, the texture seems to improve with that curing process. And now they've all had a chance to cure, so we probably need to go ahead and store them. Yes, and right now they're on the floor of the shop but we're thinking of, you know, putting them in some sort of, I'd like to find some baskets or something so that it's, they've got air circulation. That That's going to be important. We don't want them to yeah. rot. They're too good. But anyway, that was something. Now, before we leave the fruit orchard completely, or to go back to that, what about those persimmons? This has really been the first year we've gotten yeah. those Asian persimmons, the non-astringent variety and, that are so good. And we're going to be talking in a minute about Adrian's helping me with the pecan clearing and in the process process of clearing, we had to bring down a native persimmon tree. So she and I both took advantage of the opportunity to taste a native persimmon when it's still firm, and boy, is it awful. <laughs> just turns your mouth inside out, basically, it's doesn't just, it? It's just miserable. You, you, you're carrying that taste around in your mouth for several minutes later, um, but that is not the case with these Asian persimmons. And we have our first harvest this year 
of the Asian persimmons. I'm guessing we have maybe a dozen, maybe 14 uh, persimmons on our six trees. All of the ones we're getting this year are on the Fuyu as opposed to the Wasi Fuyu trees. So we hope that in the future those trees, the Wasi Fuyu, will We hope they will be bearing and we hope that all of them will be bearing more persimmons just like the muscadine sort of exploded this year. Maybe next year will be the year for the persimmons to explode and and get a, a good many more fruit off them. But boy, they taste so good. They are, if you've never had one, I encourage you to go to a farmer's market somewhere and try one. It's, it's becoming my new favorite fruit. Mild it's and sweet. Very and difficult to delicate. describe the taste. Um, it's not like other kinds of fruit. You can't say, oh, it's like a, an apple or, oh, it's like a plum or it's a mild firm slightly sweet not real not overly sweet uh tasty flesh um you eat it with the peeling you don't have to peel it and what we've done so far is just cut them into wedges because they've been so precious so far we haven't it's not like you could just grab a persimmon and eat it um, we've cut them into wedges so you could share those wedges with several people and help let everybody have a taste. But uh, I'm so glad you brought us back. Yeah, we didn't want to skip those. Don't want to skip those. That was really a, an exciting development to have those. Well, we um, and we finished up our pear harvesting. Uh, we um, found one. Actually, we probably for the last podcast that we did, we've had we had a good many pears, but we had one lone pear that I found in a tree. As we walked down to feed the fish one day, said, hey, we still have a pear hanging there. And, and so um, we have several. I've stored some of them in the refrigerator in plastic bags. And actually, they are not ripening all that fast. They're keeping really well. But the ones that I'm wanting to eat, I put up on the counter and they soften up. These are all the hard pears, our hard yeah, pears. Everything are the ones we've that, had so far yeah. are the hard pears. But they've been good. So um, and I guess. The, the apples ended, although, again, I stored a couple of those in the refrigerator in a plastic bag, mm -hmm. so we still have a few of those. The wine sap apples turned out to be our superstars, just taste so good, sweet, firm t uh, texture, that we were a little disappointed in the quality of the, what was Carter's it? Blue. Carter's Blue, Carter's yeah. Carter's Blue, which is native to this area. Well, I don't know. It was cultivated in this area, Mountain mm -hmm. Meigs, uh, near Montgomery, but um, they're a little mealy, really. They're yeah, just, the texture's not, not great. Yeah, not to be a really tasty apple. But I think we could use them for cooking or making jam or something. So. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on on Veg Hill. Um, we mentioned earlier in a podcast that I had planted what we called a second chance garden. Uh, some of it in uh, mid-July, actually, just to, because I didn't have any squash before. So I put some squash in and I put some pumpkins in and we put beans and peas and uh, that is uh, field peas like um, you know um, purple hull and black eye peas and uh, a little bit of edamame and so far I, I see some pumpkins beginning to form but everything else we've gotten some production oh and, and also we put in some more tomatoes um, everything's producing more peppers I forgot to mention that more peppers so um, but it, it it varies in terms of how much it's producing. We've gotten the two edamame plants, and that's all we had were two. Those are producing well, and we actually ate some of the edamame last night. It was really yeah. good. And, of course, the next year I plan to do better and plant a lot of edamame much earlier 
so that we have a good bit of it. But um, at least this was almost an experiment to see, can I put this in in July and actually get something for fall before it turns cold? And the answer is yes, we could. Um, green beans, big star, big success. Uh, mostly there was some Blue Lake and some, and mostly the um, rattlesnake beans. But now I notice there are some little bugs down there, which I can't, I have not yet identified. Little round bugs that are prolific all over the green beans. Um, don't know how limiting that's going to be. And of course, being organic, I'm, I'm, and I don't want to get rid of any of the, or deter um, the natural selection process of, of hopefully attracting some predators for those. I didn't do anything. Um, we do have a problem with the peas, uh, both the purple hull and to a certain extent the, um, well, I'd say yes, the black eye peas as well, have been afflicted with aphids. And we hoped upon hope that we would see some ladybugs. Haven't yet. Not yet. And they have ants tending them, which may be deterring the ladybugs. But, right, uh, right. You know, we've learned if we're patient, those kind of things will take care of themselves. That's right. So. so that's why I'm not freaking out about it. And I have been able to harvest a few peas. And the ones that I've harvested have been really good, the ones that aren't aphid-ridden. So, And, and I noticed that the newest growth, there's some new growth on the black-eyed peas that don't seem to have as many aphids. So don't know what that means, but happy to see it. Um, we do have a problem with grasshoppers. Well, maybe before I mention the grasshoppers, um, we should go back to some of the early plantings. Uh, although grasshoppers are on these plants too. Tomatoes, doing really well. We mentioned before I've seen some hornworms. And maybe this is a good time to talk about the good news. We actually posted this on the website, but we haven't had a podcast since then, which is we found our first hornworm that was... Um, parasitized by braconid wasps and boy was that great and to see I, that. you put that on facebook and it was so funny because some of our friends said is that a good thing because you put a picture of it well yeah it, it is a good thing i can understand why the average person would look at that and say it just looks like a worm with a bunch of white spots on it why is that good well what it means is that um that the braconid wasp which is a predator that will kill hopefully and keep the population of hornworms down in the future they have found a way to reproduce out there in our garden. So, yay, we're happy. We are indeed happy. <laughs> and That's I still see some hornworms that don't have those, and I kill them. Uh, we also had an interesting little, this could have been a film on nature or something, <laughs> where we, we didn't know what was going on. We were watching a hornworm very carefully before it later met its demise at my and hands. it was squirming around, so we sort of thought it was in distress. Yeah, it was kind of forming a certain, like, instead of just being stretch flat out the way they usually are it was circling and like trying to nip its tail or something we couldn't tell what it was trying to do but it turned out to be laying eggs that so. uh, that was um a rude awakening so as soon as we figured that out you removed it and squished it yes he's he's now in she she is now in hornworm hornworm heaven. hell we hope <laughs> But anyway, so that was that's been going on, and so far, I, I mentioned earlier, I think that I interplanted some basil with those um, tomatoes, the new planting, and that may be helping because there's basil going crazy all over those tomatoes, and 
it's not been a huge problem. And I am getting some tomatoes. The big deal there is lots of stink bugs, and they will damage those tomatoes and have been, and uh, little army worms that are getting in there uh, that are eating. Well, actually, I have not done a proper identification of what kind of worm it is, and I will try to do that so that we can post that on the show notes page. You promised a little uh, comment about grasshoppers, so we should. Well, the grasshoppers are on those plants, and they're. I mean, every time I go out there, I see them on every plant, and they may be damaging the leaves. But you know, the nice thing about the tomatoes, they've got a lot of foliage, and they can kind of handle it. And and despite the fact these other bugs, pests I've mentioned, I am getting some tomatoes. Um, I'm pulling them when they're green to make sure. They and then they ripen up to make sure I get them. Um, oh, also a bird or something else is pecking at them or a squirrel. You know they're getting yeah. nibbled. Um, but the problem with the grasshoppers really um, is an issue more with the brassicas. So I'll move on now to the second wave of planting, which was actually it's the third. I did a mid-July planting with the tomatoes, late July with the peas and beans and all that, and then. The, the third wave, really, was our true fall vegetables, which would be um, cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli, kale, um, Brussels sprouts, and collards. And, um, <clears throat> of course, as I'm not surprised at this going on because it's happened in the past. You put these little tender seedlings in that don't have a lot of foliage to begin with, <clears throat> and all it takes is for a grasshopper, and some of those grasshoppers are gigantic for them to nibble even a small amount of those plants and there's basically not much plant left so that's an issue um, that we're going to have to deal with we went on vacation last week actually we're gone two weekends in a row and didn't get this done in a timely manner the way we should have but we're going to hopefully finish addressing it today and that is to simply put some row cover over those vegetables to um, exclude the grasshoppers and there's then one other thing that may need to be that does need to be excluded. I'm not sure whether the row cover will do it or not. There's some new varmint that has discovered uh, and gotten into the raised beds. It looks for all the world like armadillo damage because it the, this critter is leaving big kind of canonical pits, you know, uh, like as if something with a snout has been digging um, in amongst a lot of the not just the vegetables, even some of the, the beds that don't have any anything planted there right now. And I found a couple of rutabaga plants. Oh, yeah, that's another thing I planted, rutabagas. Uh, a couple of those plants just unearthed, but the, but the foliage is still there. They weren't eating the, the green vegetable. So it makes me think that um, it's something that's maybe looking for grubs, which would be consistent with armadillo we don't know how they're getting into the raised beds or even through the gate for the into the deer fence so we're hoping we can identify and exclude we've been making progress on clearing for the pecans but it is slow progress indeed uh, we've got a lot of ground we need to clear and i have not been making as i've not been moving as fast as i need to to get those pecans in the ground but yesterday, Adrian was able to come down and help, and we were able to make a pretty good bit of progress for one morning. So I felt good about that. It's just great to have her help. Um, I can, what I, as I told you, the nice thing about having a helper is that I can keep working. I can keep using the chainsaw, you know, bringing down trees, limbing them, keep moving, 
and the helper is keeping stuff cleared out of the way so I can keep working. And boy, it was great to, to be able to do that. Well, we're just happy to have her here, and I know that she's um, getting into the farm life, so it'll be good. Yeah. Real Two real quick um, external um, programs in which we participated. We'll mention it here at the end. Um, I'm in my second landscape, actually my third one, but I started with number four. I've done number four, number one, and now number two, landscape design class at Auburn. That was very interesting, learning a lot. And in the interest of um, learning more about landscaping and plants that work well for you, uh, we actually had a chance to attend a couple of lectures that Felder Rushing gave. Um, he was sponsored through our Master Garden Gardener programs. Um in the Tri-County area, but um, that would be Montgomery, Autauga, and Elmore County in Alabama. And um, it was delightful getting to meet him and hearing what he had to say. So uh, we hope to continue to be learning in addition to farming as we go along. So that's our report. We hope you have a great week, and we'll look forward to visiting with you soon. Take care. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.